0: Welcome, dear listeners, to Impulse by Rehao New Ventures, our tech talk and founder stories. Today, we welcome Katja Kolmetz. She is a female founder of Wavemakers, a digital female leader and tech award finalist. We will talk about um, her international experience, um, her experience in a corporate um, setting, as well as um, how she then took the big step to found her own startup, Wavemakers. We talk um, about what it means to enable um, future leaders to bring more diversity into organizations. Um, On the one hand, um, as a bottom-up approach, empowering future diverse leaders. On the other hand, helping organizations during this transformation. We talked um, a bit about the imposter syndrome um, and how that is often a big hurdle when it comes to diverse leadership. And we talked about um, the role of female founders in today's startup environment. So I'm um, looking forward to the talk, and um, here we are with Katja Kolmetz.
1: Thanks so much for having me.
0: Well, Katya, you're in Berlin um, right now, correct? Yes. That's where you live and work currently
1: exactly so i'm kind of splitting my time between tel aviv and berlin but at the moment berlin is the the place to be yeah
0: okay okay and what about tel aviv what's your connection um to tel aviv
1: yeah so i do have family over there and have been splitting my time over over the past years but it's also just an amazing tech hub and startup hub right so i enjoy i have my network in both places i enjoy working from both places and um
0: Yeah, that's great. I mean, I've been fortunate to, um, I've traveled um, to Israel and and, and spent some time in in Tel Aviv um, two times uh, last year. Um, I was actually intending to go again this year. Um, Early in the year, I had to postpone it. And of course, recently, um, I've been following all the the really shocking developments that have taken place there. So I'm I'm sure you're also in contact with all the people you know, and, and are really kind of experiencing firsthand how that's impacted also the whole um, tech industry. Um, I mean, everyone is, is definitely affected, but I do kind of read a, a lot of resilience, especially coming from the, the tech uh, sector that people, you know, while dealing with these um, immediate challenges and, and, and really also trauma, they are looking forward and, and also want to get back into the swing of things. Is that how you Is that what what you're gathering as well from from the people you know on the ground?
1: Yes, um, I think you mentioned one super important keyword, uh, resilience. I think that uh, is something that continues to to amaze me about uh, the people in Tel Aviv and the people in Israel. Um, I was also there on the 7th of October, so it was indeed like a big shock, uh, everything that happened. Um, but I think we could probably fill an entire different podcast with this topic. And for now, I'll just keep it short and answer your story. You know, like resilience really is key. And um, it's also something that has has inspired me, like how to deal with really difficult situations, really difficult circumstances, but still keep moving and life goes on. And that's something that I really admire also as an attitude.
0: No, definitely. Likewise, I'm, I'm really also full of admiration for, um, you know, how people are dealing with these tough circumstances and continue to keep a close eye on, on that part of the world. Um, definitely. But that's not the only um, uh, kind of part of the world that you've uh, spent time in. Uh, you've also been in in Asia working for a larger um, German software um, developer. Can, can you tell me a little bit about your time in Asia?
1: Yeah, so actually in Asia, um, I was starting out in a, um, smaller corporation. So that was not in tech, but, um, it was in, uh, retail and for, foreign trade. Um I started my career actually in Hong Kong so I grew up in Germany but when I was 19 I moved abroad and um I did a vocational training program for 2 years where I went to business college and I was trained in a company that would source product in Asia and um ship them to Europe so taking care of that whole uh, logistical part uh, was super super interesting And um, ever since I lived in a couple of different countries, and then I returned to Germany in 2016, I think, to um, be part of a project um, that would create a startup incubator inside of a large German tech company, right?
0: Okay, so that was already back in in uh, Germany then.
1: Exactly, um, that was between Berlin and San Francisco, and it can be a little bit difficult or confusing. But I was like jumping different countries and topics over the past years. Um, but that was between Germany and San Francisco, yeah.
0: But when you were spending your time in Asia, did you already um, get an understanding of um, you know your your next steps into the tech industry? Uh, Or or was that really just focused on
1: on something completely different? It was just an escape, to be completely honest with you. It's it's an interesting story, but um, I had never even left uh, Germany or other than maybe two-week vacation to Spain or Holland, things like that with my family. But I had never been abroad um, further than that outside of Europe uh, until I was 19. And we had these weeks in school where we would kind of, you know, explore our next steps and uh, this kind of stuff. And I basically had this one goal, which was to leave Germany, see something different, see the world. And um, then they said like, oh, yeah, we had this program there at some point of uh, in Hong Kong. I don't know if it's still up and running, but you, you can try and give it a shot and apply. And they ended up... Uh, accepting me and i packed my bags without many expectations so i didn't have an expectation like where this would lead me in terms of my career or in terms of the tech industry but it was really just an experience to like get out of my comfort zone and really start somewhere else from scratch
0: okay i mean hong kong definitely is a a different world uh, compared to germany right
1: yeah it's a different world but i mean you also have so much experience with asia and i always felt at least back then that Hong Kong was like this melting pot of different cultures. So there were things that definitely made me feel at home because it was international. There were different people, but then also the really rich um, Asian culture and a lot of ex- exposure to, to topics that I wasn't familiar with. So for me, it was a good good mix of, of everything.
0: Yeah, no, Hong Kong is definitely fascinating, but also it, it, its own world. I mean, I spent uh, many years in, in Asia and I, I lived in China with my family Um, And and this was also for me, you know, uh, very insightful and and inspiring when it came to to technology, um, because, you know, living in China over the last 10 years in many ways felt as if you were living in the future. You were living in a society that had completely embraced uh, digitization um, to a degree that, you know, you definitely didn't find in Europe. And you didn't even find in the U.S., so that was um, that was just super exciting. And then, you know, coming back to to Europe, um, you definitely saw how people were much farther away and, and a lot more tech skeptical. So that's definitely an observation that that I made. Um, and then, of course, having seen how the pandemic somehow um, accelerated uh, at least certain things um, in, in certain parts of life, digital payments, um, e-commerce, and all that. Um, it was fascinating to see how it took a pandemic to really get people people to move. Um, yeah, definitely, definitely an interesting time. But then um, maybe let's go back to your um, move to, to Germany in 2016. And you said you were building up a, a, an innovation hub. Um, can you tell me a little bit more about that? I, I do believe that was for a larger company, so more kind of a, a, a corporate role. But then, of course, uh, close to... Technology and innovation. What 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 were your your experiences there?
1: Yes, so I already had gained like a bit of experience with the tech industry um, over the years, and then I had this opportunity to help build up a corporate incubator inside of a large uh, software organization. Um, I moved uh, to Berlin uh, in order to do that. Our headquarters um, for the startup incubator itself was in San Francisco, but then we were building up these hubs in different locations um, around the globe. And um, that was a truly eye-opening experience because for the first time, like, it all started to make sense, like the differences between corporates and startups, and trying to find synergies between the two. So that was our our role with the with the incubator, and I led the marketing and uh, communications function for for that team that was building it up.
0: Okay, um, and I mean. You know, we, we also are trying to create an environment um, where we can foster new ideas within kind of a corporate setting. Um, obviously, you know, for that, we've had to create a bit of a bit of a safe space. I mean, how, how did you see those kind of cultures um, meet? You know, on the one hand, you know, you're working for a large corporate company, but then you're also trying to, to set up an incubator and dealing with, uh, you know, startups and, and, and founders, what were some of your experiences there?
1: Yeah, I could answer that question from two perspectives, because I think back then I had a very different perspective to now. So back then I was solely inspired by the startups. <laughs> I was just inspired by the startups, like how fast they would be, how much you know drive and passion on a day-to-day basis, and the experimentation, the just shipping something really scrappy to test it out and evolve. Um, I I just love that mindset. It reminded a bit, me a bit of my university days and my earlier days where there were like less restrictions and less guidelines and, you know, just going wild and trying to build something awesome. Uh, this, this energy just really, yeah, was really fascinating. Um, and back then, I saw many of the corporate structure, st- structures as a kind of restriction you know like oh we couldn't go to market that quickly and there were like guidelines and policies to follow and i'm um, always trying to navigate this whereas now where i'm founding a startup <laughs> i really admire you know the power of a corporate and i really come to appreciate like these legacies that many companies have built over so many years or hundreds of years um and I guess it's indeed like about the, the sweet spot and like managing to find a way to yeah leverage the power, the incredible power of, of big corporations and at the same time, continuing to innovate and create environments that um, yeah, help innovation uh, be brought to life uh, quickly. Uh, but my perspective has changed a lot on these topics. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I mean, I guess there's definitely advantages to, you know, being a very mature organization with, you know, clearly defined processes. And I think that's just always a bit this, um, you know, area where on the one side, um, you're an established company, um, you know, you have a certain power in the market. And on the other hand, you learn or you start to learn that, you know, size also leads to a certain inertia. Uh, So things start to move slowly. And, especially also you become uh, quite risk averse. And, and I guess that's where over the last, you know, 10, 15 years, uh, the whole topic of, of corporate innovation has just taken on a new significance where large organizations are now trying to benefit from, you know, what usually happens in a kind of natural startup environment and, and bring these two things together definitely um, is it, interesting, but, you know, to, to kind of strike the right balance. I guess that's the, um, that's kind of the, the challenge of it all. And, and that's definitely something we're dealing with. Um, do you have any, any, um, uh, examples of, of, you know, where you had to make that trade-off between on the one hand enabling, um, startups to, to kind of do what they do, um, you know, in a, in a, in a fast, uh, sometimes a bit bit improvised way and and then also kind of these these corporate restrictions
1: um yeah
0: i mean I guess coming from, a, from a software uh, company so you're you're still kind of used to to a certain agility in, in the way things are developed um i don't know maybe you have an example of, of how those those two cultures uh, kind of
1: clash yeah i mean it's still a difference right if you want to uh, ship uh, ship new product versions like in days not not weeks or months and um, if you want to sometimes also ship something that isn't isn't perfect but it gives you just a really fast feedback and um, this is something where we also experimented a lot with the different um, brands of those startups versus a big corporate brand and um, my role was I saw my role as in advising the startup founders how to, if they were truly independent, uh, how, you know, they would really communicate their value. What would they prioritize? How would they do it? But then at the same time, taking some of the burden off their shoulders and coordinating with corporate communications, with different uh, compliance teams and so on to see, okay, how can we make it happen uh, rather close to this, to this vision, but I always found it super important that the founders have this own vision and really focus on the product that they want to bring to life and then us finding a way to realize it, um, as much as possible.
0: Well, look, it sounds like you were, um, in a really, you know, exciting role, um, very challenging I'm sure but ultimately you decided to, to go a different way right so what what made you uh, leave that role and, and, and try to make it on your own uh, maybe you were a bit too inspired by the the startups you were you were working with
1: that's a really good question and sometimes I ask myself the same um, yeah it's it's a good question I I think you're right I think it was this hunger of giving it a try myself because over multiple years, I was like a sponge. You know, I was, I had, I talked to so many smart and inspiring people that were either company executives or um, startup founders. And I managed to build like a wealth of knowledge and insights over the years, but I was always in an enablement function. So I didn't get to apply them as an entrepreneur myself. But at the same time, this hunger grew because I was flirting with the idea to like, what would it look like if I was the one like trying it out myself, right? But at the same time, I didn't fully trust myself to do it. So it was um, definitely a bit of a back and forth for quite some time until I decided to take the step and um, first found a services company, uh, which was a first very important learning for me, like how can I basically sell my skills? What is the value of my skills and how can I sell them and how can I build a business from that? And then uh, one and a half years later, I decided to really focus on a passion topic, WaveMakers, and start building my own startup.
0: All right, well, now we're, we're, we're back to that topic. So Katya, tell us about WaveMakers. What do you do?
1: Yes, so wave makers set out to basically redefine leadership completely. So we want to live in a world where there are diverse people, men and women, people with different backgrounds, different perspectives, take the lead, which isn't the case today. And in order to do that, we are democratizing access to leadership education, meaning It's not only the top of the organization, so a small elite of people that gets access to all the knowledge, all the tools, all the training to become leaders. But we start with the early professionals, regardless of their current job title, enable everyone to realize their own leadership potential uh, to work towards that vision of also, you know, seeing more diverse leaders um, take charge and contribute to the economy, but also the world.
0: So your your mission is to democratize leadership. I mean, that's a that's a, a bold claim. Um, what, what's really what, what's driving you um, in terms of you know living up to that claim, trying to to achieve that mission?
1: Yeah. You know, we've seen many, over many years and decades that often it was the same type of person being in official leadership positions. So we see more men than women. Um, we see, you know, many people, institutes in company cars, like people associate leadership with a lot of status symbols, authority, and sometimes also gender. And these are some of the stereotypes that need to be crushed in order to show many different people that might not comply with that exact leadership norm that they can also have leadership potential. Maybe they will lead a little bit differently. Maybe they look a little bit differently. They do have fewer role models, but they can be great leaders regardless or especially because of who they are and where they come from. And um, this is the idea of democratizing leadership um, is lifting people up regardless of their current job title, and therefore also seeing more diverse people actually take on those responsibilities and grow into leadership.
0: Okay, I mean, we talked before about, you know, having these more mature, large corporate organizations. And, you know, it's usually exactly these kind of organizations that have, you know, evolved over over decades, um, and that have exactly kind of you know, crystallize these, you know, um, certain structures, hierarchies, um, certain kind of, of, of status thinking. And, and that's obviously what you're, you're trying to put into question and, and where you're trying to, to offer alternatives or, or induce change. I mean, how does that work? Are you actually looking for these companies to, to use your services? Or are you kind of trying to um address individuals directly and um trying to enable them to maybe um uh let's say improve their their leadership skills so that they can kind of make a change from within the organization what, what's your approach there uh-huh.
1: Two different answers to this question. Um, first one, when we started working on WaveMakers three years ago, we focused solely on individuals, so B2C fully. And we started building up a community. We now have almost 9,000 people from 50 different countries that are wave makers that are working on their leadership skills. Um, it was completely gr- grassroots, uh, helping us also understand what are the needs of diverse people, because different people have different needs when it comes to their development, because they have also different privilege, privilege levels and different roles in the organization and work in different industries and all of that. Um, we focused the past three years on building up this Makers Academy, which is basically a digital leadership program. Um, and then we started you know, to build up more and more relationships also with organizations because we realized that there's so much value that with all, with all these learnings that we can also add for, for companies and started giving workshops and doing all this kind of stuff. And this will also be our main priority next year because we have started now to build a WaveMakers app which will be then a truly scalable solution also to personalized leadership development and be interesting also for the organizations to create bigger and more diverse leadership talent pools.
0: Interesting. So, I mean, it it really is a kind of two-pronged approach. On the one hand, you want to enable um, individuals in an organization um, to become, uh, let's say, diverse leaders and at the uh, other side, you you do want to help and support these organizations uh, during that whole whole process. So it's it's kind of uh, really uh, bottom up and, and and top down approach, which I think definitely for organizations which have recognized that you know they need to evolve. That's that's definitely um, a promising offer. Um, look in my notes that the whole topic of imposter syndrome has has come up quite a bit. Um, Katya, why don't you tell us a bit more about? The imposter syndrome, um, maybe what it is for some of our listeners who are not familiar and, and what role that plays in in uh, what you do.
1: Yeah, happy happy to share more. Imposter syndrome is indeed this topic that keeps coming back. I told you, like since we built up the Wavemakers Academy, we learned so much about the needs of diverse emerging leaders and imposter syndrome is definitely a barrier. What it means is... Basically, whenever you start doubting yourself, your own talents, accomplishments, skills, and have this fear that you might be exposed as a fraud, so others might find out eventually that actually you're not smart enough, good enough, not ready yet for a certain step. This feeling and this fear is called imposter syndrome. And we see that many women experience it. And also in general, people with fewer role models are more likely to experience the imposter syndrome.
0: Okay. I mean, look, uh, you know, speaking from personal experience, um, you know, I've stood uh, many times uh, at a, a point in my life where I, I also doubted myself. I, I think um, it's probably more common um, than most people realize. And, and probably most people, you know, feel kind of um, alone with these kind of doubts. and. and and um questions um so it's interesting that you're you've identified this as a as a key factor and i think if we talk about more diversity in organizations the the risk that people don't see the role models or the risk that people interpret you know um missing um examples or 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 you know don't see themselves um, in existing kind of status structures um, that, that's a, a big risk that basically disheartens, um, future potential diverse leaders. And and so that's definitely something that, um, that needs to be addressed. And, and how are you then, um, uh, you know, kind of focusing on that? Is it more just creating awareness or, or do you then also offer, um, you know, kind of a tool set how to overcome, um, the imposter syndrome?
1: Yeah. So we are combining combining that because um, in a typical leadership training, you would focus more on the management component per se, right? But we are integrating these types of topics that are just relevant for different communities. And I think regarding imposter syndrome, you already mentioned one really important thing, which is you might have also experienced it at some moments in your life but it didn't hold you back, right? It didn't uh, prevent you from accomplishing what you accomplished. And this is exactly the thing. Many people experience the imposter syndrome, like some data suggests that 70 or even more percent of all people experience signs and symptoms of imposter syndrome. It's completely normal. But what makes the difference is like, is it a healthy kind of self-doubt that makes you humble and human and helps you basically be a better person, a better professional, a better leader? Or is it something that really holds you back because you say, I don't check all the boxes of a vacancy. That's why I'm not going to apply. And that's why I won't get the job. Or I don't raise my hand for a promotion because I don't know if I have what it takes to be a leader. Maybe others are more qualified. Maybe I'm just lucky to be here in the first place. That's the kind of problematic aspect of imposter syndrome, if it really becomes a bottleneck in people's development and career. And this is where we try to remove it through awareness, but also through specific tools uh, that have proven to be helpful in order to, you know, overcome it in those moments and um, help people progress in their careers, even though they feel doubt sometimes, which is completely human.
0: How about you, Katya? Have you um, dealt with your, your own um, imposter syndrome? And, and how did you overcome it?
1: Every single step of my career, yes. Um, I already told you earlier a bit about um, when I started out my, my career in Hong Kong, right? And I think that's the first moment that I also remember experiencing imposter syndrome. So they sent me this email that I got accepted. And I thought, how on earth is it possible? <laughs> like, why, why me? I have, I have no experience abroad. Like, my grades aren't even that amazing. Like, you must have made a mistake here to give me that that trust and that opportunity. That was the first time I experienced imposter syndrome. I experienced it again and again. And even the the last time, I would say that I experienced it is not that long ago. But it was when I founded um, the WaveMaker's business officially. Um, so I had my appointment at the notary's office, and um the notary kind of took me through the script, like was reading out the entire script. And in the process of doing so, um I was addressed as a as a man. So it referred to Katya, the businessman <laughs> instead of businesswoman. and, it was, again, a moment of imposter syndrome where I saw myself, although I'm talking so much on this topic, although I've overcome it so often in my life. But again, I saw myself in this notary office, like giggling a little bit like a, like a little girl because I felt like I was in the wrong place or I thought someone made a mistake here uh, to consider me a businessman. So this is also an example, right, of sometimes it's internal factors and sometimes it's also external factors and things that are happening in our environment that can cause this kind of experience
0: well look i think that's a an important contribution um because as you say i think it's something extremely common um i experience it on a a regular basis still and i'm sure i still will uh, going forward but it's it's always been a kind of a moment or opportunity for for recalibration and then really also you know being forced to kind of a step uh, above and beyond of, of where you are at the moment, you know, leaving that comfort zone, dealing with, with insecurity and, and anxiety, and then, you know, using that as an avenue to grow. And I definitely think, uh, you know, I, I probably tick a lot more boxes of, you know, conventional role models um, than, than others. So I think, you know, giving people the necessary support in, in those difficult situations is, is is definitely a huge benefit, because um, I'm convinced that, you know, organizations uh, in order to be successful going forward, we ju- we just need a whole lot more of of diversity and and thought, skill, and experience, and and so we do need to make sure that we you know adapt also our our um, you know, management training and 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 you know the whole um, the, the the whole also uh, cultural uh, setting within an organization to to enable that. You know, it's not just done with hiring it really is about enabling these career paths and then dealing with the specific challenges that you suddenly have people who don't tick all the boxes and um you know um kind of you know we we need to enable those new templates for for career paths so um definitely a great contribution um there katya and i'm sure you're you're hitting a nerve and it seems that you know you're also getting that feedback from uh, hopefully many satisfied customers.
1: Yes. Um, but also I want to give that back because I think it's amazing that you also speak about your own experience, because this is part of the problem that not many people would ever admit that they feel like imposters or that they felt like imposters and seeing, you know, very different role models and also accomplished successful professionals say like, yes, I experienced these kind of things. Um, this is already a way of creating like safe environments for many different people because they see OK, maybe I'm not the only crazy person that is not trusting 100 percent in themselves. Even, you know, the most accomplished professionals feel sometimes like this. And I think this is exactly yeah, the atmosphere and the culture that is super helpful in, in organizations.
0: No, definitely. We, we need to continue that discussion. Um, maybe from there, just coming to another general observation. I mean, you are a female founder and and especially in in tech. Um, and and this is not somehow related to to Germany. Uh, no matter where you go in all of these startup ecosystems, actually, you know female founders are are still a, a minority depending on the statistics. You know, maybe as low as ten percent mm-hmm. of of all the founders are are, are females. Um, can can you tell me a, a bit about your experience you know being a, a female founder and um, you know maybe also um, you know how you see uh, females in the kind of founder and startup ecosystem what what role can can females play what what contributions come from female founders
1: yeah so in the startup ecosystems that um, I've been exposed to in the past years I Definitely met many inspiring female founders. Um, but it's still limited. I agree with you. And this is it's especially limited when we see when we look at um, the VC-funded startups. So there we see that really relatively few investments go to women led startups at the moment and um this is something that i'm perceiving in the startup ecosystem that there is there are a lot of uh, fears and concerns and frustrations about how we see money is allocated Um, um, there are some biases at play. We also see that many women, for example, have a a social or an impact component um, related to their business. So so women are often founding companies a little bit differently. And when it comes to the allocation of uh, trust and money, sometimes um, it goes rather to male-led startups compared to women. So there are some challenges that we are facing that we are also actively discussing and exchanging. Uh, not only um, in a women bubble, but together with men, there are so many amazing people that are aware of these topics that are striving to create a change and create a difference. And um, this is what I appreciate a lot, the, the open exchange like about these topics. Um, it's a very supportive startup ecosystem that is still facing a lot of also external barriers that are you know, preventing female founders from also succeeding with their startups.
0: Katya, how many female VCs have you met over the years?
1: Um, I am part of some communities um, of female angel investors, for example, which is the answer is very high. So I'm meeting I'm meeting many of them, but I, I'm aware that I'm also probably meeting almost all of those who exist. So it's a very it's a very small bubble really connected
0: with a relative minority there, yes. probably. <laughs>
1: Exactly. So, so it's well, it's well organized. There are amazing organizations that are facilitating this exchange, um, but there are not enough uh, female investors for sure.
0: Okay. I mean, maybe most likely there's a certain link to, you know, not just uh, let's say the prevalence of of female founders, but just also the prevalence of, um, you know, female investors. So it still seems to be a, a very male dominated, um, game. And I think, you know, we've also learned that actually, um, often investors actually prefer a certain kind of male dominated um, startup culture, um, you know, which is kind of testosterone driven and and maybe ruthless. I mean, there are just certain examples. I mean, most recently, um, Uber, uh, which really went through a transformation in the last years, really coming from this kind of I guess, toxic uh, male culture, which, you know, was considered to be a key success factor. Um, and, and, and now having transformed into a more mature and also profitable company. I mean, these these uh, cases, they create exactly these kind of templates. Um, so maybe again, back to the question, you know, well, if it's if it's not the kind of toxic testosterone-driven culture that a female uh, founder can bring to the table, what is it then?
1: Yeah. Um, I think we have to differentiate a little bit the, let's say, leadership attributes that are traditionally male or traditional female versus now men or women leading a company. Um, Because I believe that all of us carry both, right? Carry some leadership attributes that are rather interpreted as male or rather interpreted as female. And you just mentioned these very extreme examples. You mentioned the very extremely masculine uh, company culture. But then probably there is something complementary, uh, which you would regard as traditionally Feminine, which would be maybe the more nurturing, um, communication, community-driven aspect um, that can be complementary in that case. And we actually see that the best leaders manage to marry these two, right? And bring these different perspectives together. Now, obviously, when you also have different genders and different backgrounds at the table, when it comes to the formal leadership ranks, it's more likely that also these different attributes are demonstrated. Um, If we look at it collectively, but I think one uh, aspect is super important there, which is authenticity, because you need to ensure both so that there are different people who are in power, who are shaping the culture but that they also feel safe to basically bring themselves to work and bring their own perspectives to work because it doesn't help if you only have different genders and different nationalities, but everyone operates in exactly the same, I think you called a template before and is checking the exact same boxes. That's that's exactly the opposite of what you want to achieve. You want to have different people with different ideas and approaches um, of doing things. And once they actually feel safe to also bring those unique perspectives together, that's when we see the richest company cultures and also the richest, yeah, playgrounds for innovation um, because it's about cog- cognitive diversity at that point.
0: No, look, I, I definitely agree. I just also observed that unfortunately, um, you know, sometimes the bad examples are the one that get the most coverage and the most press. So we need to still work on, um, you know, other, um, role models to just, you know, um, really kind of set the tone when it comes to, to leadership in, in, in the area of, of tech and, and, and startups. So again, I think here you're really making a, a wonderful contribution, but maybe coming back to your own experience as a founder, I mean, what were your, um, maybe key success factors, um, and, you know, really taking that big leap, um, deciding to, to go and, and make it on your own, what do you think was, was most important um, to kind of help you um, get to where you are today?
1: Yeah. for me, the most important factor was to find my own leadership style and also developing that trust in myself because maybe I did not have that simple template that I could follow, right? Obviously, there are some there are a few inspiring female founders, but I'm not exactly like them, right? So you look at them and okay, there are a few women who made it and they are extremely, you know, these almost supernatural power women, how are they doing it all? So it's sometimes difficult to identify. So you really have to find your own way and also your own vision for your own leadership. And while that's maybe difficult Um, it's also an opportunity I think or I always try to look at it as an opportunity and really create it and craft it and see okay what feels feels good like where can I basically stay true to who I am and where I come from and at the same time you know grow beyond those perceived limitations Um, this is how I yeah try to approach it and um, I think maybe one or two of the success factors of wife makers are definitely um that i am a people person and i always put people first and we have created um a startup culture which is i would say the opposite of you know the uh this this masculine culture that you were describing before which is more typical for the startup space but we have a culture where people can come to work and you know be open about it when there is um they have period cramps or there's something with the a baby at home or they breaking up with their partner like all these parts are part of our, all these things are part of our lives and they are also part of of our work naturally and I always try to create environments where people don't have to lie and don't have to hide who they are and what they experience. And this usually paid off in a lot of um, loyalty and performance um, which has brought us to where we are now and also gives me great confidence in terms of scaling up that culture and taking the next steps with exactly with exactly that attitude.
0: Well, sounds inspiring. I mean, definitely creating a a space where, you know, people um, can find a a good balance between, you know, their their private and working lives, but also um, at the end, you know, being true to to themselves. That's a, a, a good start to really create a space where people can thrive. And I've always believed that, you know, if individuals can thrive, um, the, the kind of net positive impact of the organization is 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 definitely beneficial so that's a, a good starting point How many um, people do you have now at wavemakers
1: um, we're now eight employees at the moment in uh, I think seven different nationalities um, so we are a small growing wave making team. <laughs>
0: Okay, and you guys are are based in Berlin, and I think by now, um, Katja, uh, I mean, you're based in Berlin, but I'm sure you offer your services um, internationally. But how how can people find you? Because I'm sure by now people are more than curious about uh, WaveMakers and maybe are interested in, in some of the services you have to offer.
1: Yes, of course, you can check us out on Instagram, on LinkedIn, and of course, the WaveMakers website. Um, we regularly host new cohorts of our WaveMakers program. And as I mentioned earlier, we have now 50 different countries onboarded in our community. So you can take part in it like wherever you are in the world. Um, and if you have an amazing employer, they can sponsor your participation. But we also have scholarships for those who take ownership of their own development, because we always say it's not a job title, but you can start your leadership development whenever you feel ready for it. Um, so that's a step that anyone who is interested can definitely take with us.
0: Okay, fantastic. And we'll definitely include that also in the in the show notes so that people can then um, find you on the different platforms. Katya, it's been great talking to you. Time has really um, flown by, and so I think we should uh, wrap it up. Here now, any any last words from your side
1: just to thank you again for involving me in this project. It's a it's a wonderful platform. It was a really personal and um stimulating exchange. So I appreciate it a lot. And um yeah, sending you some some wave-making greetings and thanks for having me.
0: Dear listeners, that was today's Impulse by Rayhao New Ventures. Thank you, as always, to Christian Hempling, producer, and Alice Lottes, responsible for editorial and content. Please visit the show notes for further details on Katja Kolmetz's Startup Wavemakers. And we look forward to catching you next time here on Impulse.